We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello listeners, wherever you are, and a warm welcome to the latest episode of the Highland Bullpen Sports Podcast. Myself, Alan, and the two Daves are going to take a look at Scotland's greatest football matches of the last 50 years, part two. So without any further ado, let's get straight to the action. We've talked about some classic old enemy encounters, but we've also had some memorable Scotland games involving the old alliance. Scotland and France. And I think, Dave Jr., you've got a couple of classic examples that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, again, it's reasonably modern compared to some of the other games we've spoken about. But in terms of my lifetime, getting big results at important times against big teams. For a while, we've done actually quite well, but ultimately it didn't lead to much. But I think one of my abiding memories growing up being a Scotland fan was the draw for the 2008 tournament. I think it was the European yeah, it'd been the European Championships 2008. So when the draw came out for our qualification, so never mind actually getting there, but the qualification in our group, you know, a team that's not qualified for at that point a decade, in our group were the two World Cup finalists from you know the previous tournament, France and Italy. And you also had the third place team in Ukraine. So again, that was just an absolute nightmare situation for Scotland that you're you're drawing three teams that have got to the last four of the the previous of the World Cup previously. Um, and you know, in there as well, you had some tricky games as well with uh, Georgia, Lithuania, I think. But if you're looking at a complete nightmare scenario for Scotland to get out of a group, it would be that one. But somehow, uh, again, I just wrote down the dates, but October 2006 and following that up in September 2007, Somehow we managed to to beat France twice, 1-0. Once at Hamden with um, Gary Caldwell prodding one over the line, um, which was which was something else. But the more the more famous game would be the, the game in Paris, uh, when James McFadden scored an absolute <laughs> uh, I, you know, that's got to be even if I'd imagine the the one nil win in France would be up there in top tens of, of Scotland games, but that goal might be the one that stands out alongside uh, We Archie's solo effort against against Holland. Um, I was fortunate enough to be at, at both games. Uh, the second game, it was my twenty seventh birthday, um, so that was that was pretty cool uh, on that occasion. Um, and it's again by that point I started to travel quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit going to the, the away games. My, my one real memory of the home game against France was the, the poor sod that I was standing next to. I think at one point I said, oh, I've not had a drink in about an hour. I could really go one just now. It's it's quite tough. And he'd done a classic Dale boy and he just took his jacket, opened it to the side, but instead of watches down the side of his, his big duffel coat, <laughs> it was just cans of lager. Like, 
in little stitches. <laughs> and you just thought, this is a guy clearly used to come along to football <laughs> games. And he's just, this is his football jacket. Um, and I, I think I took a can of cider off him, but he was he was well prepared. Um, the game over in Paris, again, was, was something else. But at that point, France know what they're coming up against. They've just played Scotland uh, a few months prior. They've took a, a, a kind of 1-0 defeat away to, I'd imagine the French media would rightfully say that you know, you've lost to some minnows over there. This is a chance for, for you to sort of turn this around and, and win a bit of favour back. Um, and again, we went over there. And if memory serves me right, I think Craig Gordon kicked the ball out from, from a goal kick. McFadden trapped it, one touch, swivelled, maybe took another touch and then just uh, flew it into the net over uh, over the keeper. And uh, again, it was, it was pretty special. Uh, that whole trip was fantastic. You know, Paris, as you guys know, is a wonderful place to go. Um, I remember being on the phone to my boss that night, uh, one of Dave's friends, Giles, and... Um, you know, he was texting me back and forth, going, "Ah, happy birthday, wee man! Happy birthday!" What well, we a good time um, singing songs to him down the line. But we ended up in uh, La Caverne, which is a kind of replica of the Cavern Club uh, in Liverpool uh, in, in Paris. And again, it's, it's a lovely naked part of the part of the city, um, and just a, again a fantastic night. You end up all these Scots. You can imagine the scene. When people don't really know, if you're at Hamden, you go into town, you meet up with people. But, you know, phones perhaps, yeah, 2007, not as free-flowing at that point. So where do Scots then go to to gather and celebrate in Paris? Everybody ends up back at the Eiffel Tower. So that was great, uh, being underneath uh, the tower itself for hours. And people, you know, people manage to find drinks, you celebrate, you bump into people that you kind of half know from other trips. Is that where the chant, it's just a big effing pylon came from? <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember that. The poor man's Blackpool Tower. <laughs> um, but when my, my again, people are taking, just after Faddy scored in that game, you've got people taking photos of the, the scoreboard because you just think, right, at what point did France turn up and... You know, you've no longer got that classic 1-0 moment up in the scoreboard and time kept ticking on and ticking on and I just remember I was one one seat away from the, the stairwell you're reasonably far back and I remember looking around and it's this fantastic moment this amazing memory in my head when I see Superman hunched over, throwing up onto the stairs. Because at that point, again, you get various people travelling to games in fancy dress. And we'd seen them earlier that day. You had Superman, Batman, Scooby-Doo and, uh, <laughs> and someone else. But you know, when you actually see Superman being brought, you know, he's suddenly mortal all of a sudden <laughs> as he's up chucking uh, onto <laughs> the stairs. But that was uh, that, that was excellent. That, that whole double-header against France yeah, Scotland fans, we haven't had too much to celebrate in terms of getting to big tournaments. We've took a few names, not just the last 20 years, but you know, throughout our history, we've managed to come up with memorable moments, really fantastic moments that draw the nation together, that give you strong, powerful memories. Um, and that would be, you know, again, for me, having the 
been fortunate enough to get along to both games. Uh, those those were great. Obviously, Scotland ensured it was a born anniversary for Dave Junior. But looking back at that team there, it's incredible to think the team, particularly in the Paris game there, that Scotland's defence and some good players in there, but it was Alan Hutton, right back, mm-hmm. Steve McManus and Dave Weir in the centre of defence there. Now, Dave Weir was 37 years of age at that point. He'd actually been... Uh, potentially, he wouldn't have been far off being old enough to be the dad of some of the French players in that team. And their star-studded lineup included Lillian Turam, Benzema came on, Ribéry played the whole game, Makalele, Anelka, Trezeguet. It was pretty close to a, a an incredibly strong. It wasn't close to it. It was an incredibly strong France team there as well. And in Scotland, were actually forced into an early substitution. Dave Junior, I hadn't realised that. I think. Uh, Dave Junior doesn't either. He can't remember that. I'd be disappointed if he did. I'm impressed I can remember anything at all about it. But it was, I think, uh, Fletcher was replaced by Pearson midway through the first half with an injury there as well. But it's uh, uh, it's incredible to look at the, the the team lineup there. But what a game! And in Scotland's history, though, Dave Junior, has there ever been a longer half an hour? In the half an hour you had to survive, and Scotland had to survive after McFadden's wonder strike. You know, I think there was a part about it. It's not a cup final. It's not a. It wasn't win or bust. So I think yes, it was pretty nervous for the last half an hour, but people were enjoying it. There was a real, you know, fans were mixed in together. You know, if you end up getting beat, it's you know that's just Scotland. That's that's the the line you would come out with. Um, Perhaps the last couple of minutes, you're really thinking we can do this. But I think, you know, you're looking at it thinking, why are we ahead? We shouldn't be ahead. We don't probably deserve to be ahead, but we're ahead. Um, and you just enjoy it. You milk it. You're surrounded by, there's quite a lot of French. We're all in amongst each other at that point. Um, and I think it was all reasonably well behaved. Um, so I wouldn't, nervous might not be the right word. It was just... Uh, it was fun up until an extent, until the point it becomes real and you think, okay, there's there's points up for grabs here. We can see it out. Um, I still, going back to the first game, something that sticks in my memory as well. Um, I think Caldwell scored reasonably late on in that game as well. So you're, you're kind of holding on. And I don't know if you remember the famous Braveheart scene when I think the English are descending on, on the Scots and it's one of William Wallace's first tactical battles. And you get the guys with their, their kind of weapons on the ground. And you just hear you know, one of the captains shouting, hold, hold, hold. And they're waiting until the last minute to put these spears up. But all you, I just remember this guy. You know, you've always got a guy at the football with this fantastic voice. And you just felt wave upon wave upon wave of France pressure. And you just heard this one soul voice going, hold, hold. <laughs> and he just kept going up with this every few minutes. And you could feel it because it's just tense. And it's really, you know that it's just, it's coming, it's coming, but you're trying to do your best. Um, but yeah, yeah, great memories. Sensational, sensational. Virtual Dave, what can you remember about those pair of historic victories over France? I remember the goal. I think it, you know, it was sort of the first item on the news, wasn't it? It was just astonishing, wasn't it? Great result, fantastic. You know, I think mean, if you you play the game often enough, you're gonna 
get your just desserts and definitely deserve that. Scotland managed a, a remarkable feat in 1977. Well, I should say it was a feat that was achieved via Joe Jordan's hand, but they managed to claim their place in the Argentina World Cup in 1978, which was memorable, to say the least. Terrifying, horrendous, horrific, scarring, whatever adjective you choose, but it certainly uh, had a eternal impact on the psyche of every Scotland fan who can remember it. But apart from the, the humiliations against... Peru and against Iran, there was the the one moment, the, the kind of diamond amongst all the, the stuff that was going on, a moment that's gone beyond football culture into popular culture. It's been immortalised as a as a ballet and in, in various other artistic forms uh, where Archie Gemmell worked his magic uh, against Holland that was eventually to be a Scotland victory, 3-2, which will uh, live long in the memory. Alan? Yeah, I loved the World Cup 1978. I loved it all the way up till it started. Uh, and then it started to go downhill just that, that little bit. Um, it was such an exciting build-up to the whole thing. Uh, Scotland were at Hamden getting a send-off. Uh, we, we, we're on the march with Ali's army. Uh, we top of the pops. Um, Ali McLeod must have been the most fantastic motivational manager going. And to be honest, I miss those days where you had a Scottish manager who actually instilled in us that we could we could win this World Cup. And then, and then we turned up. Um, we were leading Peru, and then it fell apart. Uh, Willie Johnson uh, then got caught, unfortunately, with the, the old performance-enhancing drugs or social drugs or whatever it was. Um, we scraped a draw with the mighty Iran, uh, but we actually still had a chance of qualifying for the next round um, if we could beat the Netherlands by three goals. Um, went down in the first half to a penalty to Rob Rensenbrink, 1-0, which, interestingly, I remember, I think that was a thousandth goal in World Cup finals history. Uh, so that was probably going to be the only history that we were involved in in, in that World Cup. Um, I remember quite a bit about the Dutch team, probably from the, the stickers, the sticker album you had then. There was the, the Van de Kerkhoff twins, Rennie and Willie, uh, Johnny Rep, Rob Rensenbrink. Wim Janssen was, was playing, obviously, had a, a spell in Scotland, young, young blood and goal. Um, and just before half time, Kenny Douglish equalised. We didn't think too much about that at the time. Uh, Penalty from Archie Gemmell in 46 minutes and suddenly it's 2-1 for Scotland. Um, still don't think there was any expectation that we'd do anything. And then Gemmell scored the most amazing goal I think you will ever see. Uh, uh, absolutely fantastic. On one of my favourite movies as well, you'll see it, train spotting. Uh, so 22 minutes left. Scotland are 3-1 up against the Dutch team who are playing fantastic and would be one of the favourites for the competition. And another goal would take us through, but as it was, a, a wonder strike from Johnny Rep uh, killed us off. But we did then have the advantage, um, or we do then have the the history of knowing that um, we actually won that game. We beat the Netherlands, who obviously went on to the final, um, uh, and and were beaten the final by by Argentina. Uh, but it would be. 
the first time, I will admit this, it'll be the first time I cried after a football match uh, and hopefully the last time I do that as well. As a as a 12-year-old, it was just too much to take. Um, I, I guess the emotions of pulling it all together uh, almost think, gosh, are we actually going to do this? And the whole build-up to everything. Um, I had a wee scrapbook for the World Cup and all that as well. So, yeah. Um, Something was going to happen, but it never quite happened. So that uh, a lot of dreams died in me that day. Uh, but uh, yeah, here we are. How many thirty plus years later, we're still living in hope. Thanks for that, Alan. Dave Junior. Oh, something that always strikes with me is just how good Johnny Rep's goal was, <laughs> and it's a shame he's not even talked about in that game that tournament for that goal but um, that was a hell of a strike it's been a couple of years since I've seen it but it's it's firmly lodged in there about just how sweet uh, a strike that was um, I, again I, I didn't really see too much of Johnny Rep growing up I know the name I know he's a hell of a player but um, yeah that was a hell of a strike but uh, we Archie's goal as Alan says it, it's it's fantastic it was actually it played so much of a prominent part in train spotting um, it, it's, I think it re-brought you know, it, sorry, it brought the goal back to life, it really put it back in amongst pop culture for Scotland um, and that deserves its place it's whatever actually happened with us going out of the tournament what a goal, what a moment um, and it's quite a testament to a hell of a, a, hell of a player he was Absolutely Yorkshire Dave Yeah I remember it well, and uh, listening to you guys talking about Scotland games so eloquently, and uh, you know, I've sh- shared with some of these these memories. Um, it, you know, thinking about what you're saying about Scotland not qualifying for for major tournaments for such a long time, but you look back to that time, and you know, I remember the Scotland teams of '74 and '78, and of course. England famously didn't qualify for you know for either of those. So you know, although you're saying it was a you know a bad experience overall for Scotland, but you know, in, in some respects, that, that it's one of the great moments in British sport, isn't it? That Archie Gemmell. The goal itself was fantastic. That I just love his celebration. And anyway, when he turns around. Just gives it, yeah, right. Let's go get another. No, there's, there's, there's the hope was quite soon that cruelly dashed on it. But you know, I mean, Johnny Rapp was one of the great European players of all time. He got three European Cup winners' medals, didn't he, for Ajax, I think. And you know that um, the Holland team were were fantastic. And thinking back to '74 as well. You know, they were a great squad, weren't they? There's quite a few Leeds United players in there. So, yeah. you know, Billy Bremner, I think this is one of your games, isn't it, Rich? Like you were going to talk about the, the 74 game against Brazil. You can't be a massive Leeds United fan um, with all the Scottish players in your team and then suddenly actively, you know, be supporting any team but Scotland. You've got to think, well... Yeah, I hope they get through, and I can just—I can still see Billy Bremner, the anguish on Billy Bremner's face when he's at the far post. He's just missed that sort of header at the far post that could have put them through and beat, 
you know, what were the mighty Brazil. Um, so, yeah, the, the 70s and the 60s for that matter, you know, well, the 70s especially, those two World Cups, they made a big contribution, didn't they? In, Scott, Scott, in 74, famously, they were unbeaten, I think, weren't they? And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and still, still didn't um, qualify for the for the next phase. So, uh, yeah, yeah was, uh, good. I was in. I know where I was then when that goal went in nineteen seventy eight. I was in. I'm old enough to have been watching that in the pub, in uh, the tap room, and the woodman on Otley Road in in Leeds, and you know everybody cheered, and uh, you know I was genuinely. Mind you, half of them were probably Scots, you know, including my, including one of my schoolmates. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great moment. And I guess Yorkshire Dave, you're quite well placed to talk about Archie Gemmel because he played all of his career, I think, didn't he, down south for Derby Forest? Yeah, Derby and Forest. You know, fantastic uh, player. You know, I'd need to look this up, but you know, he had a bit of. Bad luck, didn't they? When, when he was at Forest, did he miss out on the European Cup final or, or one of them? It didn't sort of end well, did it, with him and, and Clough? But Paul what a terrific player. I think, uh, you know, Scotland just produced those fantastic midfield players who were, uh, you know, they had everything, didn't they? The skill, that fight, big physicality, you know, you think uh, it's almost endless when Leeds United were going to, um, so I don't think they ever had uh, eyes on Archie Gamble, but they're going to sign Asa Hartford was around about that yep. that time, you know, obviously they had uh, um, Billy Bremner, Peter Lorimer, who would have been in the 74 squad. Um, the the Grey Brothers, would either would Eddie Grey have been in the squad? Yeah, I, you know, I'd, I'd need to check that. Um, I'm pretty sure I did go to a World Cup, whether it would have been the 74. I think it would have been 74. Yeah. Counted football, uh, There were certainly five or six these players in the squad. It probably would have been um, Joe, Joe Jordan, certainly yeah. in the 74, was still, still at Leeds. He probably was it. Man United by the time seventy eight World Cup. David Harvey. Sorry. David Harvey. Yep, David. Yeah, David Harvey. One of the few Leeds players who was actually born in Leeds, but he was, you know, was obviously a Scott. Uh, and David Stewart. Uh, both David Stewart as well. Yeah. At, at the time, so yeah, you, you couldn't, um, you know, you, as a Leeds United fan, I think there are a lot of Leeds. Fans would have certainly in the seventies would have been right behind Scotland in the two World Cups because of the Leeds connection. Now, guys, you discover you discussed Holland there and, and our various contributions and our huge contribution to football in the seventies there. Now, obviously, a lot of our ground hopping in foreign countries, our, our footballogy stuff, has centred on Holland. I know it's somewhere we really all enjoy going. And I had some fantastic experiences there as well, and also professionally worked with quite a lot of Dutch folk there. And I, I'm really struck by how they underachieve can't be right for a country that reached the two World Cup finals 
74 and, and 70, 78, but I got the very strong sense they're still haunted by probably Argentina in particular because Rob Rensenbrink hit the post for Holland in the very last minute of, of the 90 in the, in the final so, against Argentina. 74, I think, is the, you know, is the, the German. German. You know, they, didn't they... Didn't they go ahead like uh, quite early on? Was that the one where there was a penalty early on? Scored in the first and, minute, I think. Yep. Jack they were all early West Germany, weren't they? And they started they were playing as if they were already four up. And of course you can't count West Germany out, you know. And uh, they sort of came, came back, didn't they? And, uh, you know, so it's, it was tough. They've deserved a World Cup. Didn't they, uh, Holland in in the in the seventies? It just provided so much skill. You know that Ajax team that provided quite a few of the players were just uh, superb. What did they win? It was it like sort of 70, 70, 72, 3, 4, or seventy one two three. They must have won the European Cup, didn't they? And then that right. seventy four team. I think they were, you know, probably the best team. Not, not to, not to win a World Cup. Seventy four, seventy eight were great as well, weren't they? But you know, you got to say Argentina were pretty, pretty handy, weren't they? And they had the home advantage. Yeah. Well, the thing about the, that Dutch era, it actually kicked off at Celtic to Celtic's misfortune because Celtic underestimated Feyenoord in nineteen seventy in the same way that Inter Milan had underestimated Celtic in nineteen sixty seven. But what Celtic hadn't realised for the 70 European Cup final was Dutch football was on the rise. Feyenoord won in 70 and Ajax won the next three after that. And it was like a Dutch wave and total football and even the kind of the new approach to how the game was played. I think definitely they were due. And it, from my experience with Dutch people, I'm sure losing in the way they did to the West Germany would have hurt particularly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's more than just... Football, you know, obviously going on there, but um, yeah, that would be. A, yeah, I think if you could th- taking away our own team's fortunes or misfortunes, I think if you could flick a switch and say, well, you know, in a World Cup, that'd be the one I'd say. Well, let let's let's see Holland and and Kreif and company get that uh, get their hands on that trophy. I think Alan. Sorry, that's just worth highlighting that they did lose the final to two home nations. Uh, I think they did they win a European Championship when Hulett was playing. Yes, it did. Probably their only major championship. They they have on occasion had major fallouts within their squad and camp. I believe, but um, probably best for us not to to dwell on that. But. Cruyff, um, what, what's the Chinese restaurant that used to be outside our office? Not, Ho Wong? The Ho Wong, yeah. Um, I was in there having lunch with, with a broker one day and uh, Sunis, Graham Sunis walked in uh, with a couple of guys for lunch, one of whom was actually Johan Cruyff. And you're oh, just yeah. thinking that's, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's two world icons of Football are having their, their chicken curry and rice beside you. You think they'd heard that you were coming in, Alan? Do you think that's... 
Did they get your autograph? <laughs> yeah, they wanted a selfie. Yeah, <laughs> I have to ask to, to the, the other bullpen bros who also have working experience with that particular insurance company. If you guys were taking clients or whatever or customers to the same restaurant as Graham Soonis and Johan Cruyff were going to, it must have been good times. We had heavy expenses problems, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these days, Richard, I was paying claims. People were taking me for lunch. <laughs> well, that does make sense. I was going to say, I imagine these days that you'd lucky if you could get the, the bosses to spring for a couple of prawn crackers between you the whole one. I do wonder. Um, so, I just come back a little bit. All of us have probably spoken pretty affectionately there about Holland, uh, that Holland team. Given where we've spent quite a lot of our travels the last few years, do you ever wonder if those sporting, those footballing elements work their way into your psyche over the years where you've got that affinity for for that sport and culture? Um, and Holland just became a bit of an obvious choice for us to travel over there. Good football, good people, uh, a good sort of sporting mentality. You wonder if it's ingrained in you from an early age. Yeah, and many of them can even understand Glaswegian as well, so there's a lot going for them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there are other countries where if we'd chosen other countries, I'm sure there would have been others which would have grabbed us in a similar fashion, but I think there's no doubt we've really taken uh, Holland and the Netherlands to our heart, uh, and it's really kind of become immersed in that in that culture. And I believe, Alan, you're, you're well on your way, and hopefully when the world returns to completing some of your, your Dutch ambitions in terms of games and grounds you've visited? Yeah, yeah the, the, the plan is to to tick off the, the Eredivisie grounds and the, the Erste Divisie grounds at, at some point and fit, fit in a few hoofed class on the way. But, uh, um, yeah, no, got to do them. There's opportunities. It's such an easy thing to go and do and you can get a, Two or three, you can you can get three over a weekend, not in the same division, but you can get an Erste or a couple of Erste and one Eredivisie, um, and and do that. So a year ago, uh, next week, isn't it, when we were at uh, last day, sort of door direct, and I know you were, and give Dave said it would be great if we could, you know, watch a game sort of live on TV. They're in the sort of um, second division. That's it. Sorry, the Erste Divisie, the second tier, yeah. aren't they? And I had a look into it, but I think the games are in that division are all uh, streamed live. But I did see something. Uh, you need something like a VPN, is it? So if, if you're outside the Netherlands, yeah. you can't watch it unless you buy a VPN, which I think is legal, isn't it? You know, and then you can, it, this VPN then makes the streaming company think that you're in the Netherlands. So there's probably a way of doing it. I, I did look on Dordrecht's website to see if they <laughs> had Dordrecht TV, but I don't think they have the, I don't think that you can become a member. So I, was, I was going to email Diane, was it? Yeah, see if uh, they have a facility to, for us to become members and, uh, you know, watch them direct. But I don't think they do. Play on Friday nights, don't they? But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe one, of, one of you technically proficient chaps could look into it and see. Okay. If we, 
We'll, we'll look in. We'll look into that. I take it, Dave. You don't subscribe to the Dordrecht Twenty Four Hour a Day Channel, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I follow them on uh, Twitter, and I have a look at uh, you know what they're up to uh, now and again. But it hasn't been going well for them. They could do with us being there for a game because mm. we brought them a bit of bit of uh, much needed luck last time. Ah. We? We, we saw we them did. win. Twee <laughs> yeah. are. On the verge of relegation, are certainly looking at the playoffs. Are they? Which is a fairly dramatic drop from being qualifying for the Europa League. Sorry mm-hmm. to hear that, Alan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gutted, gutted. <laughs> no, I'm, I, sure, I, I, I'm sure there'll be some sort of staunch allowance that's put in at the end of the season, as um, the, the equivalent of Neil Doncaster comes along and uh, <laughs> revamps the rules. My son's first game, so that was against Gibraltar. In 2015, and he was so excited. We, although I think we won down, or no, I don't think we won. We won down, um, but Gibraltar definitely scored anyway. We won six one, but he thought it was fantastic that Scotland could, could score six goals. And so, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was pretty cool. There was another one. Uh, it was at November 2013. Uh, a good friend of ours, Andrew. I won't give his surname, uh, but young Andrew, the weasel, uh, came along w- with me uh, and we went along to watch a bit of a bore, nil-nil draw. But the, the part that stood out for us was a couple of rows down, um, a lad get out onto the stairwell with the, the, the cameras on him uh, and proposed to his girlfriend at the time. And again, we'd had a little bit to drink that day. So Andy started running down the stairwell shouting, don't do it, don't do it. And he actually, the Daily Record had it on the front page the next day. <laughs> and and they had Andy with a speech bubble over his head saying what he was saying. Don't do it, don't do it. Um, so that was quite funny that we got onto the, the front page of the record. Um, <laughs> another game, which uh, I, I think I went along to a couple of games with Dave, but the game... That we the that sticks out for me with Dave was Liechtenstein September 2010 because um, we kept looking at each other and saying okay uh, I think we took a half day off work Dave I don't know if you remember this early kickoff uh, was it <laughs> no no just then uh, we thought we'd have a couple of drinks and a few other people from the office left half day a few others left early afternoon. Uh, we kept looking at each other, thinking, right, that's five o'clock. Some more people turned up, got to six o'clock. Should we go and get the train? Well, we could really, we could leave at half six and walk there. Quarter to seven, half seven comes, and we ended up, we stayed in the pub all night. Um, so that was Scotland Liechtenstein, completely missed the game. Um, there was a whole bunch of us that ended up in a bit of a, not a rammy, but uh, some memorable scenes at the end of the night. I think David managed to excuse himself by that point. Um, and get yeah, home. I was going to say I don't remember. I didn't remember going to the I do remember you going to the, the games, and we would be in the pub. And I kept looking at my watch, thinking, "Are you actually going to the games?" Says, oh, no, I'll, be there. I'll be there, and you would you would leave, you know, the centre of Glasgow with about. 10 minutes to kick off and get there. I think you'd just pile in a taxi, wouldn't you? That, that was the one game that, that we never actually made, but something that stands out about that day. Uh, again, I don't think Richard would be familiar with this colleague. I 
I will only give him the name Boom Boom uh, to avoid embarrassment. But Boom Boom would be a lovely, a big, soft-hearted, a big gent of a guy, but he very much liked his own company, um, liked, liked to drink. And I just remember on that particular occasion, uh, we happened to be in one of his frequented watering holes and he came in, seen all of us, basically downed the whiskey that he ordered and left. <laughs> I just, he just thought, there's no way I'm, I'm getting involved in this. Um, so that's that's became affectionately known in, in that friendship circle as Tartangate, which was 10 years, a decade old this year. The other, the one last game, and it, it leads on to ground hopping a little bit, uh, which we've, we've covered off to certain degrees. Uh, it was my first ever away game with the Tartan Army. Uh, again, I didn't really know anybody at that point within the Tartan Army. You know, we used to go maybe as a family or um, a bunch of close friends, but nobody really wanted to travel to an away game, but I was desperate to go. Um, and I just booked flights myself. Thought I'd bump into people, see how see how I got on. Uh, and that was across to Ljubljana in Slovenia. And that would have been October 2005. Uh, and I was very fortunate on the flight on the way over. I was sat next to a couple of guys that just were or are world-class guys. They're, they're fantastic. Um, became really good friends with them. Um, and hooked up with them on a few more trips. You know, met up with them at home as well, but um, they were London-based, but they sorted me out in away games and, and we all buddied up and met at the airports every time. Um, but in that Slovenia trip, I managed to stay in a hostel, which was a converted prison. Uh, again, featured loads of kind of prominent local artwork. It was just um, Slovenia itself, Ljubljana is somewhere that, if I get a choice, if the four of us can go somewhere one day, I would really, really love to take you all there. It's the most incredible, beautiful city. Uh, the architecture, the, the people are out of this world. Um, and I think it's got a bit of a name now for being one of the go-to places in Europe, a bit off the beaten track. Uh, it's really quite special, but uh, the game itself, you know, we were all based in, in Ljubljana and the game itself was... Not, I think it was a bit, a bit more north in Selje. Uh, we travelled there for the game. My first game, I think it was at the end of a, uh, a non-successful qualification campaign, but we, we had a 3-0 victory. Um, came back in the bus to Ljubljana, spent another couple of days and just, again, a lot of Scotland fans, it might be an international thing, but uh, people fly out that night or first thing the next morning. But if you manage to time your trip, a couple of days extra, you get the place to yourself, you get to see it for, for what the place really is. Um, and it's just great sitting out there, a little bistro uh, by the water, um, uh, a, re a really special place. So that, that left huge memories with me for, for Slovenia. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Highland Bullpen. We're also featuring on all the usual social media channels. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for the Highland Bullpen. On Twitter, our handle is at H-B-U-L-L-P-E-N, at H-Bullpen. At Instagram, it's Highland underscore Bullpen. And Facebook is quite simply the Highland Bullpen. We've also got our email address, 
highlandbullpen at gmail.com. We really appreciate those of you who've got in touch, asking questions. We are here to learn ourselves and we're here to help you guys learn as well. So feel free to contact us and follow us on any of those channels. Fantastic, Alan. And there's never been a better time to follow the Highland Bullpen Sports Podcast. We are ramping up in time for season 21-22 of Major League Baseball. We've got some fantastic preview episodes coming up over the next few weeks where we speak to some American experts who give their predictions for the fortunes of our teams, the Mariners, the Red Sox, the Tigers and the White Sox. We're also teaming up with the fabulous Bugs with Balls baseball podcast to celebrate International Women's Day on March the 8th. So lots to look forward to. Until next time, on behalf of Bullpen Bros, Dave Jr., Alan, Yorkshire Dave and myself, and not to forget Hamish, stay safe and we'll see you next time.